Welcome back to Fast Asleep. Whether you're here because you just need a good night's sleep or you just want to listen to an exceptional story, we're grateful you're here. Well, finally, in this episode, our story's conclusion, Elizabeth confronts Mr. Speed. What is it about Mr. Speed that causes her to connect all men, however unfairly, to the same attribute? And is this attribute what keeps her from marrying, ever? Well, author Peter Taylor's life was very different from his characters. He was married to poet Eleanor Ross Taylor for 51 years until his death. So, let's tuck in and enjoy Mr. Taylor's conclusion to A Spinster's Tale. I found it. I stammered my surprise, and I asked if Brother were going to ride in it that machine. One of them said he was upstairs getting his hunting cap, and since he had no motoring cap, that would have to do. The older brother, Gary Benton, went back into the hall. I walked toward Henry, who was standing in the doorway. But does father know you're going? I asked. As I tried to go through the doorway, Henry stretched his arm across it and looked at me with a critical frown on his face. Why don't you put up your hair, he said. I looked at him seriously, and I felt the heat of the blush that came over my face while I felt it on the back of my neck. I stooped with what I thought considerable grace and slid under his arm and passed into the hall. There were the other two Benton boys listening to the voices of my uncles and my father through the parlor door. I stepped between them and threw open the door. Just as I did so, Henry Benton commanded, Elizabeth, don't do that. And I, swinging the door open, turned and smiled at him. I stood for a moment looking blandly at my father and my uncles, I was considering what had made me burst in upon them in this manner. It was not merely that I had perceived the opportunity of creating this little disturbance and slipping in under its noise, though I was not unaware of that advantage. I was frightened by the boy's impending adventure in a horseless carriage, but surely not so much as I normally should have been at breaking into the parlor at this forbidden hour. The immediate cause could only be the attention which Henry Benton had shown me. His insinuation had been that I remained too much a little girl, and I had shown him that at any rate I was bold, or at least a naughty little girl. My father was on his feet. He put his glass on the mantelpiece, and it seemed to me, well, that from the three men, as they came in rapid succession, all 
possible arrangements of these words. Boys, come in. Come in, boys. Well, boys, come in. Come on in. Boys, come in the parlor. <laughs> the boys went in, rather showing off their breeding and poise, I thought. The three men moved and talked clumsily before them as the three Benton brothers went each to each of the men, carefully distinguishing between my uncle's titles, doctor and colonel. I thought, how awkward all of the members of my own family appeared on occasions that called for grace. Brother strode into the room with his hunting cap sideways on his head and announced their plans, which the tactful Bentons uncertain of our family's prejudices regarding machines, had not mentioned. Father and my uncles, huh, yes, indeed, had a great deal to say about who was going to do the driving, and Henry Benton, without giving an answer, gave a polite invitation to the men to join them. Oh, to my chagrin. Both my uncles accepted with the greatest of pleasure. What really had not been an invitation at all. And they persisted in accepting it even after the brother, my brother, in his rudeness raised the question of room in the five-passenger vehicle. Father said, sure, the more the merrier. But he declined to go himself and declined for me Henry's invitation. The plan was then as finally outlined by the oldest of the Benton brothers that the boys should proceed to the Carltons and that brother should return with the driver to take our uncles out to the Carltons house, which was one of the new residences across from Centennial Park, where the excursions in the machine were to be made the four slender youths took their leave from the heavy men with the gold watch chains across their stomachs, and I had to shake hands with each of the Benton brothers. To each I expressed my regret that father would not let me ride with them, emulating their poise with all my art. Henry Benton was the last, and he smiled as though he knew what I was up to. In answer to his smile, I said, Games are so much fun. I stood by the window watching the four boys in the street until they were out of sight. My father and his brothers had taken their seats in silence. Oh, and I was aware of just how unwelcome I was in the room. Finally, my uncle, who had been a colonel in the Spanish War and who wore bushy blonde sideburns, whistled under his breath, and then he said, Well, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it, he winked at my father, and my father looked at me, and then at my uncle, and then quickly, in a ridiculously over-serious tone, he asked, What, sir? No doubt about what, sir? Why, there's no doubt that this daughter of yours was flirting 
with the youngest of a Mr.'s Banton. My father looked at me and twisted his mustache and said with the same pomp that he didn't know what he'd do with me if I started that sort of thing. My two uncles threw back their heads, each giving a short laugh. My uncle, the doctor, took off his pons nay, you know, those little glasses, and shook them at me and spoke in the same mock serious tone of his brothers. Young lady, if you spend your time in such pursuits, you'll only bring upon yourself and upon the young men about Nashville the greatest unhappiness. I, as a bachelor, must plead the cause of the young Bentons. I turned to my father in indignation. That approached rage. Father, I shouted. Now, there's Mr. Speed out there. Well, the father sprang from his chair and quickly stepped up beside me at the window. Then, seeing the old man staggering harmlessly along the sidewalk, he said in, well, I thought affected easiness, yes, yes, dear. He's drunk. I said, my lips quivered, and I think I must have blushed at this first mention of the unmentionable to my father. Oh, poor old Speed, he said. I looked at my uncles, and they were shaking their heads, echoing my father's tone. Whatever did happen to Speed's old maid sister, my uncle, the doctor, said. Oh, She's still with him, father said. Mr. Speed appeared soberer today than I had ever seen him. He carried no overcoat to drag about on the ground, and his stagger was barely noticeable. The movement of his lips and an occasional gesture were the only evidence of his intoxication. I was enraged by the irony that his good behavior on this of all days and what it presented. Had I been a little younger, I might have suspected a conspiracy on the part of all men against me. But I was old enough to suspect no persons being even interested enough in me to plot against my understanding, unless it be some vague personification of life itself. The course which I took, I thought afterward, was the proper one. I do not think that it was because I was then really conscious that one is determined to follow some course rigidly and is blockaded. One must fire furiously, if blindly, into the blockade, but rather because I was frightened, and in my fear forgot all logic of attack. At any rate, I fired furiously at the three immutable creatures in that room. I'm afraid of him, I broke out tearfully. I shouted at them, he's always drunk. He's always going by our house drunk.
My father put his arms about me, but I continued talking as I wept on his shirt front, and I felt my father move one hand from my back so as to motion my uncles to go. And as they shut the parlor door after them, I felt that I had let them escape me. I heard the sound of the motor fading out up Church Street, and Father led me to the settee. We sat there together for a long while, and neither of us spoke until my tears had dried. I was eager to tell him just exactly how fearful I was of Mr. Speed's coming into our house. But he only allowed me to tell him that I was afraid. For when I had barely suggested that much, he said that I had no business watching Mr. Speed and that I must shut my eyes to some things. After all, he said nonsensically, I thought, you're a young lady now, and in several curiously twisted sentences, he told me that I mustn't seek things to fear in this world. He said that it was most unlikely, besides, that Speed would ever have business in our house. He punched, punched at his left side several times, gave a prolonged belch, Ugh. settled a pillow behind his head, and soon was sprawled beside me on the settee, snoring. But Mr. Speed did come to our house, and it was in less than two months after that dreary twilight. And he came as I had feared he might come in his most extreme state of drunkenness. And at a time when I was alone in the house with the maid Lucy. But I had done everything that a little girl, now 14, could do in preparation for such an eventuality. And the sort of preparation that I had been able to make, the clearance of all restraints and inhibitions regarding Mr. Speed in my own mind and in my relationship with the world, had necessarily, I think, given me a maturer view of my own limited experiences though two at my very age must be held to account for a natural step toward maturity. In the two months following the day that I first faced Mr. Speed's existence with my father, I came to look at every phase of our household life with a more direct and more discerning eye. As I wandered about the shadowy and uh, somehow brutally elegant house, sometimes now with a knot of hair 
on the back of my head. Events and customs there that had repelled or frightened me, I gave the closest scrutiny. In the daytime, I ventured into such forbidden spots as the servants and the men's bathrooms. The filth of the former became a matter of interest in the study of the servants' natures instead of the object of ineffable disgust. The other became a fascinating place of wet shaving brushes and leather straps and red rubber bags. There was an anonymous little boy that I had seen many mornings hurrying away from our back door with a pail. I discovered that he was toting buttermilk mm-hmm, from our icebox with the permission of our cook. And I sprang at him from behind a corner of the house one morning and scared him so, well, he spilled the buttermilk and he never returned for more. Another morning, I heard that cook threatening to slash the houseboy with her butcher knife. And I made myself burst in upon them. And before Lucy and the houseboy, I told her that if she didn't leave our house that day, I would call my father. And hardly knowing what I was saying, I added, and the police. She was gone. And Lucy had a new cook before dinner time. In this way, from day to day, I began to take my place as mistress in our motherless household. I could no longer be frightened by my brother with his mention of runaway horses. And instead of terrorized, I felt only depressed by his long and curious arguments with my father. I was depressed by the number of the subjects to and from which they oscillated. The world as a whole still seemed unconscionably larger than anything I could comprehend, but I had learned not to concern myself with so general and so unreal a problem until I had cleared up more particular and real ones. It was during these two months that I noticed the difference between the manner in which my father spoke before my uncles of Mr. Speed when he passed and that in which he spoke of him before my brother. Now, to my brother, it was the condemning. Oh, there goes old Speed again. But to my uncles, it was, well, there goes old Speed, with the sympathetic addition, the rascal. <laughs> Though my father and his brothers obviously found me more agreeable, because a pleasant spirit yes, pleasant, had replaced my old timidity. They yet considered me a child. And my father little dreamed that I discerned such traits in his character or that I understood, even if I listened to their anecdotes and their long, funny stories. And it was an interest in the peculiar choice of subject and in the way 
that the men told their stories. Now, when Mr. Speed came, I was accustomed to thinking that there was something in my brother's and in my father's natures that was fully in sympathy with the very brutality of his drunkenness. And I knew that they would not consider my hatred for him and for that part of him which I saw in them. For that alone, I was glad that it was on a Thursday afternoon when I was in the house alone with Lucy that one of the heavy sort of rains that come toward the end of May drove Mr. Speed onto our porch for shelter. Otherwise, I wished for nothing more than the sound of my father's strong voice <laughs> when I stood trembling before the parlor window and watched Mr. Speed stumbling across our lawn in the flaying rain. I only knew to keep at the window and make sure that he was actually coming into our house. I believe that he was drunker than I had ever before seen him and his usual ire seemed to be doubled by the raging weather. Despite the aid of his cane, Mr. Speed fell to his knees once in the muddy sod. He remained kneeling there for a time with his face cast in resignation. And then once more he struggled to his feet in the rain though I was ever conscious that I was entering young womanhood at that age, I can only think of myself as a child at that moment. For it was the helpless fear of a child that I felt as I watched Mr. Speed approaching our door. Perhaps it was the last time I ever experienced the inconsolable desperation of childhood. Next, well, I could hear his cane, and it was beaten on the borden of the little porch before our door. I knew that he must be walking up and down in that little shelter. And then I heard Lucy's exasperated voice as she came down the steps. I knew immediately, what she confirmed afterward, that she thought it brother, eager to get into the house and beaten on the door. I, aghast, opened the parlor door just as she pulled open the great front door. Her skin ashen as she beheld Mr. Speed, his face crimson, his eyes bleary, and his gray clothes dripping water. He shuffled through the doorway and threw his stick on the hall floor. Between his oaths and profanities, he shouted over and over in his broken old man's voice. I, I could understand little of his rapid and slurred speech, but I knew his rage went round and round a man in the rain in the shelter of a neighbor's house. Lucy fled up the long flight of steps and was on her knees 
at the head of the stair in the dark upstairs hall, begging me to come up to her. I almost stared, as though paralyzed and dumb, at him, and then up the steps at her. The front door was still open. The hall was half in light, and I could hear the rain on the roof of the porch and the wind blowing the trees, which were in full green foliage. Well, at last I moved. I acted. I slid along the wall past the hat rack and the console table. My eyes on the drunken old man who was swearing up the steps at Lucy. I reached for the telephone. And when I had rung for Central, I called for the police station. I knew what they did with Mr. Speed downtown, and I knew with what I had threatened the cook. There was a part of me that was crouching on the top step with Lucy, vaguely longing to hide my face from this in my own mother's bosom. But there was another part of me which was making me deal with Mr. Speed, however wrongly, myself. Innocently, I asked the voice to send the Black Mariah to our house number on Church Street. Well, Mr. Speed had heard me make the call. He was still and silent for just one moment. And then he broke into tears and he seemed to be chanting his words. He repeated the word child so many times that I felt I had acted wrongly with courage but without wisdom. I saw myself as a little beast adding to the injury that that what was bestial in man had already done to him. Oh, well, he picked up his cane and didn't seem to be talking either to Lucy or to me, but to the cane. He started out the doorway and I heard Lucy come running down the stairs. She fairly glided around the newel post and passed me to the telephone. She wasn't certain that I had made that call. She asked if I'd called my father. I simply told her that I had not. As she rang the telephone, I watched Mr. Speed cross the porch. He turned to us at the edge of the porch and shouted one more oath. But his foot, it touched the wet porch step and he slid and fell unconscious on those steps. He lay there with the rain beaten upon him and with Lucy and myself watching him motionless from our place by the telephone. I was frightened by the thought of the cruelty which I found I was capable of. A cruelty which seemed inexplicable.
inextricably mixed with what I had called courage. I looked at him lying out there in the rain and despised and pitied him at the same time. And I was afraid to go minister to that helpless old Mr. Speed. Lucy had her arms about me and kept them there until two gray horses pulling their black coach had galloped up in front of the house and two policemen had carried the limp body through the rain to that dreadful vehicle. Just as the policemen closed the doors in the back of the coach, my father rode up in a closed cab. He jumped out and stood in the rain for several minutes, arguing with the policeman. Lucy and I went to the door and waited for him to come in. When he came, he looked at neither of us. He walked past us, saying only, I regret that the blue coats were called. Then he went into the parlor and closed the door. I never discussed the events of that day with my father. And I never saw Mr. Speed again. But despite the surge of pity I felt for the old man on our porch that afternoon, my hatred and fear of what he had stood for in my eyes, why, it has never left me. And since the day that I watched myself say, away, in the mirror, not a week has passed, but that he has been brought to my mind by one thing or another. Why, it was only the other night that I dreamed. I was a little girl on Church Street again, and that there was a drunk horse in our yard. Well, that concludes the story, and we're going to stop. Please remember, though, we have a growing collection of Fast Asleep episodes that are ready and waiting just for you. And honestly, each of them contains a masterpiece from a very gifted author. I hope you take advantage of them. Good night.